Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host and welcome you to this special episode on how animals have a positive impact on people as I talk with Michelle Ellis. Michelle, Michelle Ellis. Michelle Elise. Michelle Elise. Michelle Elise, very <laughs> French. C'est bien. Mm-hmm. Michelle okay. Elise is a neurobehaviorist, author, and speaker who loves animals. She has owned and adopted dogs, horses, cats, and her animals have served as service dogs and therapeutic animals. Her current service dog, Aspen, who you'll see some photos of as we use this podcast, has his own YouTube channel where you can find joyful and relaxing videos of Aspen playing, being trained and having fun. Uh, Michelle um, encourages people to adopt animals and shares content about how to train them and make them feel happy. She's written a book called TBI and Concussion Understanding and Improvement, a personal recovery story with suggested actions towards recovery. And it tells about her personal recovery from TBIs and transient amnesia episodes in which animals have had played a big role. She shares her knowledge and encourages people to live their lives to the fullest after similar injuries. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the show, Michelle Elise. This is wonderful. Thank you so very much, Andrew. I am more than honored. I was surprised when you invited me. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, well, it's always, it's, I'm just so grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're both very grateful. I mean, and you know, I've been following you and what you've been posting on LinkedIn and seeing the wonderful mm. stories you're telling, as well as the knowledgeable stories. And I think that's the mix that inspired me. It's because it fits with our philosophy on art and science. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Well, thank you very much because I have pretty much been away from LinkedIn for two years and now I'm just barely coming back. I have not written anything for a year. Mm. Uh, and I'm ready to write my first article on why humans go ballistic. Mm. And I will be writing subsequent articles and also giving reasons why, you know, that this is the psychology of neural behavior and why we need to look at what we're doing and come to some resolutions and resolve and change. And that's where animals really help us. That is such a brilliant segue into our discussion today. And, and first of all, you know, I'd like you to tell me and our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what inspires you to do in life what you're doing. I'll talk a little bit into that neuroscience. Please. We are all born with a DNA structure. But what is more impactful is the predisposition of our neurological part of our body. That determines who we really become and what is prominent. For me, and it was ironic, it was kindness and altruistic. I was born very altruistic. And I loved animals. It was a natural thing for me. And behavior was extremely natural. Now, the other parts, such as speaking and manners, that came from my grandmother, thankfully. (laughs) And 
multicultural was because I grew up in South America and Europe. That gave me a wide breath. When I was very small, and I'm only 5'4", so I'm not a very big person. And when I was a little girl, I mean, I was little. I would watch these bully boys and they'd be teasing to animals. And I would run in front of them. And this, I think, is a redhead predisposition also that we're very bold and we don't think about consequences. We're just going to do what we want. You never argue with a redhead. So I would run in front of them and I'd say, how dare you? And then I would chase after them and then they would run. And that continued even into my grown-up days with gang members. Mm. And one person hit me and I got out of the car forgetting that I had my rock fire in the back. And he got out and he was putting his bandana on and he said, you don't know who you think, you don't know who you think you know. And I was like, huh? I said, you're the person that just hit my car. And I just started walking towards him. Again, I'm only 5'4". Mm. And he says, you're crazy. And he got into his car and he backed off. And I went back to my car and I'm like, hi, to my Rottweiler. <laughs> it didn't matter. I had two more at home. It never, they are my comforting part. They're not the part that says, don't you dare act like that. Mm. Or please join us. Let's have fun. Let's have fun and walk our dogs. Let's have fun and learn understand behavior so those issues neuropsych behavior was completely a neurological predisposition i just kind of built on what was natural mm. and do you find many people you know i talked to many people who've struggled to find that so how did that how did you find that naturally how did you um, come to find that path well that's kind of a two-part one part is ugly and the other part is really fun. I, I'm a very curious person and extremely independent, hmm. extremely independent. And even when I was three years old in Caracas, Venezuela, my father told me no gate or fence could hold me in. Fences I walked on and I have all the scars to prove it. <laughs> and later I became a gymnast. <laughs> but I always took off mm. at three and four years old. And it seemed as if no one really cared. And I would find dogs and big dogs. Well, the big dogs happened to be horses. And they were wonderful. And I love the aroma. Mm. The bad part of it is I was adopted when I was over before I was uh, two years old. Uh, the name Michelle Elise is because my mother was French and her name was Evangeline Jeanine. And I did go to school in France. So it compounds. Unfortunately, my father was wonderful, but he was a commander. And so he's very, very busy in the military. Mm -hmm. And he did not have very good choices in his wives, which were three. And Evelyn was the second wife who was the adopted parent. And she was a sadistic uh, narcissist. She was mm. a monster. Yeah, sorry to hear that. And what she did to me is part of a book, Brilliance Disrupted, of how children move on from torment, abuse, and torture. Mm. 
which it really is. And what she did to me is something I can only write in a book. I can never really talk about. So this added to my independence. I wanted to get away. (laughs) And I found people, glorious people everywhere. And I found the most wonderful companions and be part of healing very young in animals. Mm. So what age were you when you you first found that connection with animals? Probably two, three years old. I do remember that a couple of incidences, a few incidences at the fence and taking off when I was three and cut off with Venezuela. Mm. And that's wonderful. And so when did you then end up first adopting a pet? Well, um, it was a pet. Uh, It was through my grandmother. I was sent to live with my grandmother from Chevy Chase, Maryland to Miami. And ironically, I was born in Miami. I was hatched on the beach somewhere. Uh, (laughs) But with my grandmother, she had a parakeet. She had a blue parakeet. She thought it would be good that her six-year-old granddaughter would have a parakeet. Well, she bought me a green parakeet. Okay. And I don't remember much except the day I walked by and it was dead. And I went to my grandma and I said, my parakeet is dead. May I go play? <laughs> she did not comprehend that I understood death. Mm-hmm. It was, he's laying on his back. He's still, his feet is up and he's dead. Okay, now can I go play? It's over with. Right. Nothing, nothing to be done. That's it. But sometimes children surprise grown-ups in their natural behavior. And then we're going to correct that instead of coming back to as animals do and just, okay, let's just move along with it. Mm. Animals are instinctual. Just we are human. We're instinctual. It's taught out of us. Instead, replaced with fear. Mm. This fear of death, this fear of... Fear of all things. Mm. We're fear of the future. How can you be afraid of the future? It's unknown. Fear of unknown. How can you be afraid of unknown if you don't know it? I mean, it's blue skies, possibly, or snow in the Rocky Mountains. We don't know. We don't know. But animals do not do that. They just take it as is. And that's a great lesson we can come to Mm. with animals. And that's why I advocate, please adopt. And if you have the knowledge, make them into a therapeutic animal, service animal, have them beside you as much as possible. Mm. And all kinds of animals. It doesn't need to be a dog or horse or cat. So let's pull back just a little bit from that and break that. Basically, I think you Mm. said, you know, two wonderful things there about adopting and then about therapy and therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about adopting first, because it's obviously, you know, a great responsibility. And we've you know had a lot of things through COVID and everything about people, you know, rushing mm-hmm. to take pets and everything. So, so what advice, you know, with all your experience, could you give to somebody when they're considering sort of adopting um, an animal? I will first share, ask ask them, my dog, I adopted the day after COVID was open Mm. and the Humane Society was open at the Buddy Center. I saw her picture and I drove down and 
I've waited three hours and then I started training her because of my own needs. Adoption, we euthanize over 65 million dogs in US every single year. Just in the US? Just in the US, 65 million. Wow. That is a staggering amount. Over 5,000 animals, we can say mostly dogs and cats, are delivered to shelters every single month. They cannot handle that. The change in COVID meant people were displaced, thereby the animal was displaced. This is what happened with Aspen. She did not have a home. And this causes a huge disruption in their lives. And they react different. They're put in a cage with sounds reverberating through the the shelters. And they're on cement and maybe a bed. They might have a little bit of attention. They have all these strangers coming through, looking through wire cages, glass. And it's daunting. Just put yourself in that position. And you're seeing all these people going past you looking at you, banging at stuff, and talking to you, then leaving. It gives me chills just to think that way. First, look through what animals they have. Talk to the people. Tell them what you're about. They may have a suggestion. Sometimes not good ones. You have to go on your gut instincts. And your instincts originate neurologically, then they go through your body. I saw Aspen's picture, and she was not the first adopted service dog. I've done this many times. I saw her picture, I said, what a funny little face. And I went down and I met her. She was timid, 45 minutes. And I just sat there, allowed to be. We went out, let her urinate, let go, walk around. And I made sure the handler stayed with me because she was very, very attached. She was frightened. She was given up. This is very serious for animals to go through emotionally because they do not understand it. They do not have the comprehension to devise what is going on. Why did I lose my home? Why did I lose that person I love? It's the same grief we go through when we lose someone or an animal in our lives. So I sat there and I looked at her and I said, you look like the aspen trees when they turn here in Colorado. Mm. And she came over and gave me a kiss and said, Great. Sealed, sealed with a kiss. Sealed with a kiss. Sealed with a kiss. That's beautiful. So I think that was really important what you're saying about that first, that empathy in a way towards Mm -hmm. the animal and the trauma that Mm -hmm. he or she has experienced and to to give space and a lot of space yeah watch the dog watch your behavior around the dog one of the things i always advocate don't yell at the dog and please no 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 stop Mm. 
go in and change behavior, change the focus, go into another room and do that, or your cat. Change the focus of the brain. Yeah. And immediately, they're very easy to reformat neurologically. Very easy. A bit like young children, really. <laughs> Same. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes children do not work with cats. Mm. So we have to look at that. We have to be aware of that. Is this a good cut for children? We bring that child in. I do not have children. They're my children. But we bring in the child and see how they work. Mm. And when you're in an adoption center, please remember that animal has been traumatized. They may be easy. They may be plain. But please remember, they've gone through a grieving process. So they need to get used to whatever family and home you bring into them. Yeah. And always find a food that is nutritious for them or they like. Right. Yeah. A cup of comfort food goes a long way. Well, you know, you need to look at their health, uh, take them to make an appointment within two, three weeks to have a meet and greet with your vet. Yeah. So that they can examine and have some knowledge, read up on your breeds. Read up on what is the best breed for you. And there's so many. There's over 400 AKC registered type of breeds. Wow. There's more breeds than that. Right. So you can, and, and there seems to be plenty of animals. And obviously we talked about dogs here, but there are obviously many other types of animals you can adopt. Yes, there's birds. I've had birds. I've had all kinds of birds. I've had cats. I still have cats and horses. I'm a horse woman. There's plenty of choices. Uh, yes. And so to take and time. And do your study. Do mm. your study. Yeah. Don't just jump in and either f- take the first one or even disregard the first one just because it, exactly. it's a little flustered and angry in its situation because that's natural in the situation it's the dog's been put into mm-hmm. for example i have a quote for adoption save two lives yours and a dog mm. get a dog or get a cat or dog. no whatever you have bring them into your family it's part of your family but save two lives so that's a beautiful segue into talking about, you know, the role that, that animals and, and pets specifically um, can play in people's lives and improving their well-being. So we looked at quite a bit into the science behind this, and most of the science points in the direction that, yes, um, there is a benefit um, to owners' well-being. Um, but I'd love to hear your opinion as a, as a scientist, as well as somebody who's worked with a lot of animals. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was they make you live more joyfully. I'm not sure if it was a scientist or just the love of the animals. Um, and when we talk about well-being, we're going into service animals. Mm. And this is a completely different genre than pets. And please understand that. We have service animals. We have comfort animals. We have... Uh, we have all different categories. Yeah. And there's animals for seizures. There's animals for blind. There's surface animals for PTS, anxiety, uh, emotional ups and downs, of the need to have an animal part of your life instead of humans. You know, some people 
they want humans on the outside and then the animal always with them inside and outside in the world. Mm. There's many, many different needs. When we talk about service animals, yes, you can read about training them, but then you need to have them certified. Mm. And the training needs to take a good year, year and a half. I've adjusted my training to each different variety of working dogs. I am a person who likes the working dogs. So that fits my personality. When we even adopt and we say, tell the adoption place, I'm a person who trains for service mm. and they work with me in my work. I take them to where I speak. Aspen is allowed to go along to people and just be comforted. She picks the people out. Yeah. This is not only, it starts everything really starts neurologically in humans and all life because everything in life has a type of neurological system. Now, I'm not going to break that down. That's too complex. Right. <laughs> but through that neurological complexity is behavior. And that's her perception. And that's another big subject. So I'm trying to keep it simple. I right, thank you. So... <laughs> that's for me, not for the listeners, by the way. No, so... well, for me too. <laughs> it's a reminder. Good. I have an allergy to complacency and complexity. <laughs> mm. Totally understand. Totally understand. So service animals are here. And every animal can be a service animal. Mm. Doesn't mean that you get to take every animal on a plane and fly to Aruba. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need goats in Aruba. Don't take them on a plane. They do their rather odorifice. You need paperwork. You need a doctor's order. Mm. This is a service doctor, this person. They do not explain. When people ask you what it's for, that is inappropriate. You're asking them about their health. That's inappropriate. Yeah. When you go up to a service dog or you're near, please do not, of any animal, unless you've spoken to the handler who is the owner, but we always call them handler, if they can pet or look or speak to the animal. Otherwise, it causes disruption. Mm. And I had a lovely lady behind me in line while I was speaking to someone about this new computer (laughs) and getting Microsoft back on. And she was looking at Aspen and Aspen's attention. She wasn't doing anything. She was lying down, but her attention was there. And I just looked back and I said, please don't look at her. And the lady was quite compliant. But sometimes people were like, well, she's so cute. I said, yes, but she's also service. Mm. And I need you to please go along with what I ask, because right now we're not in a shared time where I'm speaking. Right. And if I have a chance, I'll give him one of my business cards, <laughs> which has a picture of her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's part of listening. Our behavior 
and our eyes are part of listening. When I look at you, I can see you're nodding. Mm-hmm. And that's part of listening. Listening is critical. Listening is a behavior. So we understand behavior. Then we can take that in and adjust, see how that works. Just like I had to adjust the lady behind me. And then Aspen, and I said, Aspen, and she's right behind me, like she's asleep. <laughs> so she's, she didn't work out. She just looked at me and said, quiet. Mm. Then she went, put her head down. Yeah. That's simple, but it has to be trained in a very soft, gentle way, at the same time, consistent. So did you train Aspen totally yourself? Yes. Yeah. I train my horse, my Arabians. I train my Rottweilers. I train all my Australian camel dogs. Um, there are some things that came natural to, uh, such as some of my dogs naturally wanted to be trail dogs. I was like, cool. <laughs> you know, I'd be off on my radio and here comes my, it was an, a kind of a, an Alaskan husky that is all white. Mm. And all of a sudden, and he was an adopted one, all of a sudden I got on my horse and I was off into the countryside wanting to look at, you know, paw prints from the lion, coyotes, and it was time for the bluebird clocks to come in in February, and it's just beautiful. It's just clouds of bluebirds. And Buddy came along. I didn't need to tell him anything. He knew how to find his own water. He knew how to stay within 20 feet. He knew how to work within the horse's legs. It came natural. I did not have to train him. So always look for what is natural disposition as we humans have, animals do too. And they have more. So watch the behavior and work off that behavior. That's, that's fascinating. So you say they have more. Can you explain a little bit more about what is more in this context? Um, I, I need you to clarify because there's so much here. And, and I, I can't. Well, you speak said they had everything. natural predispositions. Dispositions. Yes. Well, that is in behavior. And everybody has, everything in life has a predisposition. We naturally, like bees, they naturally fly whatever kind of variety of bees. I believe there's only 27,000 varieties of bees. There's thousands of varieties of hummingbirds. When they're born, they naturally fly unless they have some kind of dysfunction. So when we talk about the natural behavior and predisposition is something we naturally do, such as a child is curious when they want to reach for something, they roll over. That's a natural behavior immediately because they reach for something and we're like, oh, they rolled, oh, they rolled. No, they saw something they wanted and they're reaching for it, so they rolled over. And that's how natural natural causes, cause and effect happen. Same with animals. Mm. You have something, a a toy, and they come over and they sniff. You have a treat, they come over and sniff. They may turn away or they may want it. Don't force something they don't want. Mm. But 
give what they do want. Right. Simple, simple in a it's way. It's very, very simple. Do we not sometimes overcomplicate it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we, we do. We, we like to complicate the, the complex. Yes. We like to complicate the complex. Right. Keep simple with complex. Mm, keep it simple. So in, in terms of keeping it simple, I think it would also be si simply wonderful um, if you could help our listeners sort of understand a little the difference between a regular pet, a uh, therapeutic animal and a service animal. A regular pet is going to be home. We're going to go for walks. We're going to just play. It's part of the family. And working dogs will always pick one person out of the family that will be the handler, except for the working dogs that are designed, such as for blind or seizures or MS, those types of areas. And they're designed to come in and figure out which animal comes in to work for that person they bond. Service animals. They come in, they're part of the family, but they are working with one person. Mm -hmm. If I live with a bunch of people, they have to go along with how I train. Yeah. When I say something, I mean it. You do not get the dog to bark. You do not pet the dog. You leave her alone. If it's time for uh, people to come over or allow Aspen, we'll use Aspen as uh, an example, to go to people when I'm speaking, she'll choose the people. Mm. Unless it's at the large group, and I'll ask who would like to be part of meeting Aspen and come on up on stage. And then she will go and choose the person. She may sit by them, she may look at them, and that's the time you pet them. For the fact that she is a service dog is because what I went through as a child. And even though I've resolved a great deal of the issues, there's still some things that she comforts. Mm. So that means she's still a service dog and she is my service dog. At the same time, because of my work, she is part of my work. She's mm. there with me. She's with me 100% of the time. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All the time. So, and she, they're always connected to that one person. Mm. So that makes it, from what I'm understanding, is this mixing of the idea that you, it can be a pet one moment and a service dog the next. It's just not going to mm -hmm. work. No, no. It's one or the other. Same with therapeutic pets. Mm. I mean, sort of a therapeutic animals. This Therapeutic animals have run the gamut, and we're having a hard time in our society understanding the difference. Mm. If an animal is wearing a vest and it's a service or therapeutic, don't approach the animal, period. Yeah. Look at the owner. If it's a friend, you look at the owner. If it's time you want to talk to the animal, you ask permission. Mm. Always ask permission. And some, some vests are not the standard. I use turquoise on Aspen because it's very clear and colorful. Mm. 
Mm. And she, everything, all her wear, all her wear is turquoise, leave everything, because it's pretty, it's comforting. Mm. I want people to feel comfortable. I'm wanting people to chill down without me telling them to chill. Mm. So I'm looking at all different areas of behavior that will automatically create that atmosphere along with my dog. Mm. So if we sort of talk about therapeutic areas, are there any areas where you think that animals are more valuable or more effective than in other areas? Or is it oh, really... Absolutely. So please absolutely um, there's this lady uh, she had ms and it was exacerbating and she went to ride a, a therapeutic riding area and all of a sudden she noticed because she she was not completely engaged where they could only layer across the blanket she could get into the saddle and after several sessions, she noticed that her MS was abating. Wow. So she got a horse herself. And she rides every day. And her MS, all the features of the MS that rendered her almost dysfunctional, completely abated. But she knows she has to have a horse for her, for her entire life. Mm. That is invaluable. And this is what we talk about that's therapeutic mm. that is huge and Impressive. it's huge mm. and we have all different critical parts where we have therapeutic courses um i used to have with my arabians people came out on crutches i would ask them to go in my arabians would come close i said i'll just stand here and they will guide you they would go in with wheelchairs and they were allowed to reach and the horse bring down their head when they're comfortable. Mm. You go with the behavior. Right. And that's the connection between the neuro and the, the behavior. Mm. See, I'm learning. I'm learning. It's good. <laughs> I'm still learning too. I'm constantly well, studying. Yeah. I mean, it's such an amazing thing. In some ways, it seems that it's sort of ancient wisdom right this is oh, it like, is this is stuff Even that was known centuries it, ago right? socrates socrates spoke on hippotherapy mm. now you know socrates never wrote but he spoke yep. and he spoke on hippotherapy it is ancient mm. it goes thousands and thousands of years back before christ because mm. we use that as a calendar thing right <laughs> And but, now we've sort of forgotten, and now it, it seems to be coming back again into... Look, look at the war horse and the war dog. Mm. Rottweilers have a 3,500-year history. They worked with the gladiators to drive the cattle, to sleep with their gladiator handler, to drive the cattle's, cattle in to be slaughtered in town. They, they're nanny dogs. They pull carts. They were butchered, uh, protected the uh, prophets, the butchers uh, would put the pouch around the, uh, the neck of the Rottweiler. Not that they were nasty, they're not. Mm. They're wonderful dogs, they're working dogs, so they're genetically engineered to drive, herd, and protect 
They're very, very loyal. They are not, there's no such thing. Even on NPR, they've had many, many talks about vicious animals. There's no such thing as vicious animals, mm. as vicious, beastly humans, right. but not vicious animals. So badly treated you, or badly trained animals, I suppose. Sometimes, but it is because of the human genome. Mm. And we go back way far. We had the war horse, the terracotta, greatest archaeologist of find, terracotta find in the Han Dynasty. That is something wonderful, uh, a phenomenal uh, uh, documentary to watch. And the relationship between horse, dog, and human that is so invaluable. That is amazing. That's amazing. And could I bring you back to talk about your book a little? Because you've, <laughs> you've written a book um, on TBI and concussion understanding and improvement. And obviously, it needs to be edited and put into book form besides just Kindle. Uh, Tell, me about, person, Tell me about it. This was a personal experience. Um, mm. I fell on black ice and asphalt and broke my body from head to toe. And I had to have multiple surgeries. And then I had to visit different testing psychologist, which um, my redheaded personality came out blooming, uh, and the neurologist. And they kept on telling me, you will never recover. You can't, you can't, you can't. Well, I bristle when I hear you can't. It doesn't seem to be a word <laughs> in your dictionary from what the little light. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do And never argue with a redhead. <laughs> A lot of good uh, lessons coming. <laughs> Not a good relationship. This, I had over four, just four pages of dysfunction. My personal doctor told me to write it out because I still had a great amount of cognition, but I had all these glitches. Hmm. And I wrote them out, emotional, somatic, and physical. The one thing that, well, there are many things that really bother us. The fact that traumatic brain injury mostly renders people completely poor and dysfunctional, and it does not have to be. Mm -hmm. I had transient global amnesia, which is very common. And there's a plethora of other concussive syndromes. But that bothered me the most. But I, I could see it. I could, I could see it coming. And then I, what happens in amnesia, the persona that you are is completely dissolved. You do not exist. Sometimes my service dog did not exist. I might repeat my name. I might walk and look at the sky, but I'm a scientist. So I purposely would go out. What is causing this? Was it the interaction with a stranger? Is it the weather? What is going on? Because in hindsight, I would look at and could remember what I did while I was in the transient amnesia state, this amnesia mm. episode. In 2016, I was with a colleague and we talked for over an hour. And then all of a sudden I went into a very, very deep, sudden, it's very sudden for the most part, but not always. There's no definitive with amnesia. And there's four different kinds of amnesia. So let me, there's retrograde, anterograde, traumatic amnesia, and 
the amnesia that I'm speaking about, which is intermittent, but you can still function. So I said one day, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it's affecting my life. Mm-hmm. And I did a talk on it. And from that day on, I said, I'm going to figure out this. And I did. It was arduous. Extremely well, I can arduous. imagine it wasn't an easy journey. <laughs> but I'm a scientist. Hmm. This, this is how my brain works naturally. I don't advocate it for everybody. You need someone to help you along. Yeah, for sure. And when I, when I would start going into one, I had post-its everywhere. And I, I look at the clock and I do the date and I state how I felt. And then I would allow it. And if I could keep that cognition, I would force that cognition. And how I would force the cognition is I would go into a store where I knew some of my friends, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and I would call before and I said, I'm going in, I'm coming in while I'm going into amnesia. And I have my list mm-hmm. and I walk in and they said, why does ghost, you have no cause. Sure you want to, I said, I have to, I have to. Mm-hmm. Where's the cheese? I have my list of my cheeses. I'm a vegetarian, so I have cheese. And I was like, I have to recognize it. And I would force myself. I would, I was trembling. And I would force to recognize. And I said, okay, artichokes. We're in the vegetable section. I need to recognize. And I would force myself to recognize. They would stand by me. Sometimes they did have to point things out. I need tomatoes. I, you know, all different things that a vegetarian would want. Then I would pay and they would stand by me, make sure that I was not trembling too much because this does cause a lot of anxiety, Mm -hmm. forcing yourself out of amnesia. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine in in Trader Joe's, no less. (laughs) Yeah, in their busy time, holiday time. We had an understanding um, shopkeeper there. And then, oh, lots of them. That's, they're great. And then they said, okay, are you all right to get home? I said, yes. I designed it in my head that I only have three turns. Mm. What is the funny part about this? Because I would have my dog in the car. We'd get back to my place, park the car in the garage, and walk in to my home with my dog and completely forget the groceries. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> until some point getting no, hungry right no no it wasn't hunger it's like oh i'm starting to recognize things i'm at home oh the groceries <laughs> tip tip if you're in that situation don't buy frozen foods <laughs> you do one of the things you please do not do do not be judgmental mm. of your glitches yeah throughout life because mm. right now we're under so much stress. We are. Everyone, everyone is. Mm. We're like a, a, a compressed, a boiling pot that is ready to burst. Please be understanding. Mm. To yourself please. as well as to others, right? Yeah. Others. I, it just please be understanding. Mm. Yeah. Please be understanding. Please, yeah. please. You know, 
One of the, and I cured it. I did cure it. What happened because I cured the amnesia, I cured all the other problems except my transit. I mean, my, not the transit, but my amnesia. I cured that. My catastrophic tinnitus. And what I did was I taught myself how to read lips. So be careful around me. I read lips. Right, because of the tinnitus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so loud. So yeah. I had to read lips. So it was really hard with masks. I was like, mm. I need to see your lips. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my 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 idea there is releasing I resolve by resolving I serve. Mm. The more I serve, the more I live. It's a beautiful virtuous circle, a spiral almost, yeah. Of you helping and in return getting um, rewards for that. So it's a beautiful thing, but it, it was a hard journey. I can imagine, you know, as you said having the ability to do that on your own is it's not for everybody but you, you, there's help available i appreciate you, you, and not really i think i'm the only person to solve this i have not heard it anywhere else on the planet mm. um but uh, maybe there are uh, there are people that want to help with tbis but do not understand trauma and do not understand the high switching of anxiety and the outbursts and you just have to sit back and understand a person is going through such hardship mm. inside and it's frightening and they don't feel like themselves mm. step by step it's through behavior and someone being with them to understand it's okay what you're going through and let's have some suggestions Mm. which in a way brings us back to the animals right and i think it was yes and that is yeah that you know animals are such agreeable friends they ask no questions (laughs) they pass no criticisms exactly exactly and we humans need to be more like that and listen that's Mm. why i advocate on all these stating please listen yeah yeah yeah, it was my, one of my old bosses said that we always have one mouth and two ears and we should use them in those proportions. It's true, it's true. I, and when we greet people that seem to be very anxious, you know, either you can say, you okay? Or just smile, mm-hmm. just smile. Whether you know them or not, just smile. Because that really lowers their anxiety. Please do not be an advice giver because you really do not know. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard because people want to give advice, you know, especially, you know, it sounds naturally right. People want to say, no, no. (laughs) Just hold that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You might project Mm. too much projection. Mm. Please be quiet. And again, animals do that very well. They do. They do. <laughs> they can be there. They can just smile in their own smile. Um, it's very difficult through these times because we just do not know. And this is why I wasn't part of LinkedIn and I'm slowly, slowly coming back because I have just been inundated, inundated with the most honest things in life mm. 
that I would never pursue. And I had to just disappear. And I did search out therapists. Unfortunately, I'm an ex-therapist. That's counter-transference. That's breaking boundaries. That's not trauma. That is not neurology. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, okay, uh, I, I, maybe I over-educated myself because I am then insatiable, <laughs> curious. <laughs> and I yeah. keep on educating myself because I do not have family. I have animals. <laughs> mm. It's a good thing. Curiosity is a good thing. I'm, I'm not sure it killed the cat even. So that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> something else something else but it's excellent so we're coming unfortunately Michelle Elise to the end of our time today but it's been so wonderful talking oh, been wonderful. thank you for sharing your your inspiring stories your humor um you know as well as your recognition that that we are in some hard times and there are a lot of people suffering and that animals can play a huge help to people. Um, and, but it takes care. To, yeah. We all have to be facilitators in one way or the other. It doesn't mean that you have to have a, this kind of title like this. Mm. It, that's just because we, we have a passion and we studied it. And it. But we are facilitators. I'm a facilitator for people. We all have to be some type of degree of facilitator and allow facilitation to come in for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a two-way street, as they say. So thank you very much <laughs> thank um, you. for sharing with us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the on the show today. Thank so you like, very, very much. For that. And if our listeners, if you want to find out more about Michelle Elise, we'll share her links in the show notes. She'll be able to connect and find out more about um what she's up to um we'd like to thank you for listening and if you don't already do so please follow the art and science of joy we'd love you to come and join the conversation and, and really help us spread the joy in these times and for example why not share your own experiences with the power of animals in your life and so thank you once again for listening and i hope you tune in for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast until then stay well stay joyful and show love to animals